Hi, Ben. Hi, Victoria. How are you? I'm exceptionally fine on this dull day. I'm Ben Ando. I'm a former journalist, a former BBC news correspondent and crime reporter. Um, Now easing my way apparently out of lockdown, although I'm still not entirely sure what that means. Oh dear, someone's letting him out. (laughs) I'm Victoria Mitzi. I'm still right in the swing of things, got my finger on the pulse and my ear to the ground at the BBC and I am a prime enthusiast, a mother and an all-round general superwoman. What are we going to talk about this week, Ben? We're going to pick up on the big news story of the last two weeks, which is the uh, disappearance of Madeleine McCann and the emergence of a new prime suspect in the case. And I think, Victoria, you have been talking to a criminologist who knows an awful lot about this case. That's right. It's it's a bit of a biggie, this podcast, isn't it? We've got... It's a meaty one. It's a meaty one. It's got some meaty content. New developments of um, the biggest missing persons case ever. So that's quite exciting, as well as more about Black Lives Matter and all the events that have led up to that. Yeah. Hey, forget Black Lives Matter. I'm hearing that Plymouth Lives Matter and Cherry, <laughs> Picker, Driver, Cherry Picker Driver Lives Matter, apparently. Oh my God, yes, you are absolutely right. There's definitely been more news coming from down here than the massive epic news that's going on in the past week that's shaking the world. (laughs) Tell me more, I'm all agog. Uh, Right, some people who live close to me um, have had some bad news that um, a partner of one of theirs, a husband of one of theirs, has died in what they've called a freak accident. It was all over the press over the past few days that um, this chap who leaves behind, very sadly, two little ones, died in an accident in which his cherry picker, which I didn't know what a cherry picker was, did you, Ben? Yeah, I've been at a cherry picker. A cherry picker is like an aerial platform. You use it to, to get up to, I don't know, cut trees or to fix things that are high up, maybe to clean windows on high buildings, that kind of thing. Well, that piece of machinery that he was in came into contact with an electrical wire or cable and um, that caused his sudden death. So, um, young man. uh, That sounds shocking. 32, I think. Very shocking. The reason I've been talking about cherry picker is because the only people that I've heard referred to as fruit pickers have been people who've come from the EU. So I actually thought he was technically actually picking fruit. (laughs) No, he wasn't actually picking cherries. Well, the the, the famous Devon cherries. (laughs) Well, what would you pick down here? Your nose. uh, Well, it's apples, isn't it? Apples for cider. Oh, cider is uh, Somerset, isn't it? Somerset. No, Cornwall, scrumpy. I I don't know. I kind of think the whole of the southwest is just one massive orchard full of people picking apples for cider. I, ah, I, I well, reckon there's there's definitely Somerset cider, there's Cornwall cider. I bet there'd be Devon cider if you look hard enough, you'll find it. There is Devon cider because I've tried it because I quite, despite the fact that it seems to give me a like contact headache, and I know how much you I love. You say constipation pe- then? <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> everything <laughs> else does. Precisely the opposite. <laughs> I get a contact headache with cider. I know how much you love people talking about their ailments. It really gets you going, but I do like the taste of cider. Do you? Yeah, oh, I love cider. Yeah, I'm a big cider fan. I prefer cider to beer. But back to the story. 
Yeah, but sorry, just on cherry pickers very briefly, because the reason I know so much about cherry pickers is that we use cherry pickers at work when I used to be a journalist. If we ever had to get kind of high up images or shots, I mean, often there'd be like um, a huge incident. And if you couldn't get very close to it, then we would hire a cherry picker and we would go to it and we would use this cherry picker to get some kind of a decent shot, maybe of a major state event or something like that. That's so unfair. As a predominantly local radio journalist, I had to do things like scale walls and trees and stuff on my own. And often I'd hope to be included in something on telly. So I'd try and wear sort of, I know I've been warned against it in my training that I should wear trousers and sort of sensible shoes, but who wants to do that? So I've sort of scaled riverbanks and stuff like that in sort of a pair of impractical shoes and a skirt too often. (laughs) And you get like people to help you. That's the main thing. People do help me, but can I just say, I have got a story that will make you think again about the joys of being in a cherry picker because you may recall some years ago I don't know if we were talking about joys of it recently (laughs) the joys of cherry picking you may recall some years ago there was a a train crash um, up in Yorkshire when a Land Rover came off the motorway because the guy fell asleep at the wheel Yes, hit the railway lines and then was hit by an express train travelling south which then derailed into the path of a freight train travelling north there was a huge crash, tragically one of the drivers was killed and um, all these train carriages were left higgledy-piggledy. It was a big news story at the time. But it happened on a weekend, and it was a Saturday morning, I think, and I was sent up there to report on it, and the, the news desk happily informed me that they'd got a cherry picker coming to meet me. So, the, unfortunately, because it was a... I think it was a Sunday or something, the only cherry picker they would they could get was this really old, clapped-out lorry with a sort of a, a, a jib on the back and a little a little platform. <laughs> Brilliant. And, was, there, was some kind of sponsorship of Sweeties or something painted on the side? <laughs> Yeah. And so the guy who was operating it said that because it was so small, the platform was so small, there's only room for me to go up and the cameraman. And we both had to go up because the cameraman had to get some good shots and I had to stand there to to do a piece into camera. And so he said, just signal me when you want to come down. Just sort of, you know, give me the sort of (laughs) that rotating. This sounds good already. So up we go and we're getting higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And on these things, there's one of those little sort of three cups on... um, little um little legs that spin to tell you how fast the wind speed is and cherry pickers can only go up when there's very low wind speeds because otherwise they might blow over obviously so we're up there and we're filming and and we get some good stuff we do all we need to do but i'd noticed this thing is starting to spin faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and suddenly it's starting to sway about quite a bit i'm thinking this is really starting to sway now so i look down at the guy he's looking up and i give him the signal and say bring us down bring us down and he sort of gives me a big thumbs up and i see him press a big button on the console in front of him and it goes (laughs) and nothing happens and he sort of i could see him go oh press it again dunk nothing happens and by now the thing's going faster and the wind is building and we're swaying from side to side about two or three feet and the ground's looking an awfully long way down and so he just then shouts up hang on a second i'll try and restart it yeah just like everything just switch it off and switch it on again and he switched it off switched it on again and luckily it worked and it got us down but it was a few sphincter clenching moments up there i can tell you but that's enough about cherry pickers let's talk about crime that's enough about sphincter clenching quite yeah actually and and I think we should sort of wrap this up the one thing that interested me in what you were just saying was should that have been a windy day which are you know numerous in Devon then perhaps that guy's life might have been saved well, who knows? I mean, I don't know. If, I mean, we just don't know what happened. It was at the moment, it's believed to have been an accident. Obviously, an inquest will be opened in due course and the coroner will look into it and try to establish what happens. But if it was windy and it was too windy and he was up in his cherry picker and it 
got um, pushed to the side. Maybe it was pushed into contact with some high-tension cables. Who knows? It, mm. it, but that's just you know speculation. We haven't got a clue at the moment. No, and as you say, time will tell. So we'll keep you updated with that, of course. You know, I am, I'm turning into the uh, finger on the pulse of Devon here. Well, just don't put your finger on the power line. Everyone's turning to the Don't Let Me Finish podcast for their news updates, clearly. <laughs> Devon News. Well, you Devon Let Me Finish. <laughs> you definitely don't. <laughs> so can I just add that into my news updates here of uh, the ASBO stuff that I've been keeping, giving you regular posts and I know I've enjoyed every minute of, of it. I know you've been uh, on the edge of your seat on that one. But I've got to say that's been, oh, actually, no, it hasn't been quiet, but I'm getting used to it now. <laughs> I'm still pretty much in lockdown, can I say? Are you? What? I mean, what, what changes? I, don't know. I went to the supermarket well, with my three year old. That was the big change. Oh, that must have been the biggest trip of her life. She must have she loved was, it, the well, chance to get wear house. her out. <laughs> Good luck with Anything. that. Yeah. And you no, know, she does get quite worn out going, look at this. Can't, why can't I go in? Has that man got the illness? <laughs> Has that man got the illness? She'll what, literally some guy stand there coughing in a queue. and hacking his way around the no, supermarket? No, for no reason whatsoever. She'll stand there with her with her eyes wide going, I think that lady's got the illness. And she's literally standing <laughs> next to them in a queue in the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well... <clears throat> Actually, as you asked, lockdown hasn't made a huge amount of difference to me. Still basically trying to work from home. And yeah, I mean, my, my youngest daughter came over for a sort of socially distanced dinner the other day, which was nice. But beyond that, nothing. Although, I mean, it's hard to see what you can and can't do anyway, because people are going, I mean, ever since Dominic Cummings decided to completely breach all the rules and do his own thing because it suited him, I think most people are thinking, well, I'm taking the decision that's best for my family to go for a nice picnic at Durdle Door. If you don't know, for those for our foreign friends who are listening from overseas he's a government advisor who basically i think it's pretty well known now that he's just fibbed a bit about yeah. where he went <laughs> well, well, um, he made a 60 mile car journey on the day of his wife's birthday to a local beauty spot not to take his wife to a local beauty spot to to celebrate her birthday but because he needed to check his eyesight was okay for the much longer drive back down to his home in London with a four-year-old in the back I'd say you couldn't make it up except he clearly did make it up (laughs) well done um (laughs) and also talking going back to Plymouth news by the way oh let's do that can I just say that Black Lives Matter um, which we've got to talk about in this podcast yes yes absolutely because I nearly pulled the last podcast because of that and then I thought hang on I don't know if I told you, Ben, that, that a lot of people have been kind of blanking out their podcasts and not releasing episodes because of it. Really? I didn't, no, I didn't know that. Well, I thought it was more important to keep going and to, you know, as Meghan Markle said, silence is the worst way you can react to this. Did she say that? Yes, she did. And actually, well. I've got to say that the La Markle is at her most sort of effectual now. Good. Personally. Um, that's what- lovely. Well, yeah. Um, anyway, she's she's also let her Afro roots slightly grow out for the first time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought that was quite, I don't know, maybe a gesture of solidarity. Yeah, I, so basically, like every royal ever, the only thing people actually care about is her hairdo. Although hair and black identity is inextricably linked. Mm, yeah, maybe. Every woman, their hair is an issue, but I think black 
woman's hair is a massive issue. But um, I digress because I would like to say that Plymouth has been having its own protests. Wow. Yes, despite there being a very small black and minority ethnic community, people have been bothered to go and protest. And well, good for them. Yeah, and so, I, I mean, doesn't that really show you that it's reaching every... If it reaches Devon... Absolutely. I mean, you know, this is this is something that is become a global event. We have a global pandemic at the moment, and we also have a global um, movement, a global protest movement, and a global um, sense of guilt. Yeah, maybe guilt, or maybe maybe it's more than guilt. Maybe it's actually not just guilt, but a sense of frustration, a sense of right. Let's just all agree we need to get this shit sorted out now. It's gone mm. on for long enough, you know. It, and one thing that really annoys me is this whole if people say black lives matter somebody else and this happens particularly um on social media somebody else said well you can't say that because all lives matter well yes all lives of course matter the problem for black people has been and if you look at this it's statistically very clear that black people are twice as likely to die in police custody in the uk than white people are they have no ideas about the figures for the united states or be stopped and searched well, they're nine times more likely to be stopped and searched, which is crazy. But let's just talk about actual deaths in custody. I'm just Twice trying to talk likely. about how serious the whole thing is. Go on. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they all feed into each other. It's not, it's not just, say, death in custody. I mean, a black person is more likely to be stopped and searched, which means they're perhaps more likely to be arrested, which means they're perhaps more likely to be convicted by a court and therefore end up in prison and so on. All these things build up and build up and build up. And to say all lives matter, well, yes, that's all well and good. I don't think black people, in fact, no black people I know are saying black lives matter more what they're saying is black lives matter just as much and historically everything every single metric you can possibly look at tells us that up until this moment black lives clearly haven't mattered as much and it's time that balance was reset i think everybody agrees on that certainly every reasonable person agrees on that and as to how is i think a personal a very personal issue you know my way of approaching it is that i've never mentored anyone in my life before and someone invited me too and I've been in email correspondence with some black journalists who are trying to get into the industry and giving them advice and you know it's so big wasn't that my point Ben that it's so big that we must talk about it but then you know we end up talking the whole program about it and then we release an, an episode about something which I feel should be so personal and a, a sort of part of your everyday repertoire. It's also difficult for white people to talk about these things and not come off as either virtue signalling right. or just simply speaking from a position of ignorance. Of course we're ignorant. Of course I don't know. I don't know what it's like to go out and be much more worried that I might be stopped by the police, much more worried that I might be arrested, much more worried that I might be killed in custody. I just don't know what that is like. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't speak about it. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't show yes we agree with this movement we undertake to support it however we best can and and i've reported on stories where black men have been killed by the police or by the authorities i mean the death of mark duggan is what prompted the london riots in 2011 now he was uh, no angel he was somebody who was thought to be carrying a weapon he was shot by a police marksman at the time the police marksman took that fatal shot he genuinely believed that he or his colleagues were in danger it's a very very difficult line to draw a much clearer line is the case of jimmy mabenga that was another trial i reported on when three g4 security guards were cleared of manslaughter when jimmy mabenga who had been living in the uk for a couple of years but was actually angola and was being 
deported. He was taken onto an aircraft at Heathrow Airport, but he was held in such a position by these security guards that he couldn't breathe. He cried out that he couldn't breathe. They told the court that they thought that he was just um, putting it on, really, but tragically he wasn't, and, he's, and he, he died of, of what's known as positional asphyxiation, where you're compressed down and held down so that you can't actually get air into your lungs, which must be just a, an awful, awful thing to experience. So, you know, we, we have had this problem in the UK, but it's very much at the moment crystallised into a real issue uh, with the death of uh, George Floyd in the United States, of course. But so many were others, so many people. That's what's come to light out of recent events. It's a very British thing. Whoever says it isn't something to do with us because, that you know, the murder happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You know, it's ridiculous. But one reason this is a difficult issue to address is because it's nuanced insofar as, yes, black lives should matter and black people shouldn't die disproportionately in custody as they undeniably do. The difficulty, though, is that you have different aspects of the criminal justice system. Now, one thing is that if you look into a lot of deaths of anybody in custody, whatever whatever race or ethnicity they are, often there are mental health issues involved, um, there are other difficulties, and the other problem you have is that even when... Um, uh, police officers or security guards or whatever are brought before the courts, traditionally it's it's seen that juries are very reluctant to convict because juries will look at um, evidence, they will hear what happened, they will look at often video footage or they will hear recordings and they will think it is difficult to be absolutely sure that at the time they were carrying this action they intended to seriously hurt or kill the person. Were they just trying to restrain them? Unfortunately they misjudged the level of restraint and therefore the victim died. And these are the things that are so difficult. And what we need to get away from, really, is this routine idea that you regard people who you're taking into custody as as violent and needing to be restrained with the level of force that's being given. And I think where you're going to get to with this is a, a, is a training, it's an education issue, and it's about making it absolutely clear that Anybody who is in a position of authority should only use the absolute minimum amount of force required just to ensure compliance among the, with the person who is being restrained. But of course, when you have somebody with mental health difficulties, that can be an incredibly difficult balance to find. It's a difficult job. Nobody's denying it's difficult. But I think now there is a real sense that we need to get a handle on this issue and get to the point where we, do, we don't believe that black people are being disproportionately victimised or victims of violence purely because of the colour of their skin. I don't... You've mentioned some specific cases and there are obviously... I just wanted to mention that it isn't always to do with sort of mental health issues. I mean, Stephen Lawrence, for example. I mean, these are, these are cases which really shame this country. And, Ben, do you know someone called... What's his first name? They call him just Rashman. Have you heard of him? No. A young man who was killed by uh, under restraint, but there weren't any of those issues to do with that. He was the father of two. He was killed under restraint just in a convenience store. And I saw a plaque saying, remember Rashman in one of the riots? And that was in the US. And I just thought, okay, it's linked. You know, it is, it is important. It isn't always sort of as cut and dried. And then there are more people that... I didn't know died in custody. I heard um, on Andrew Moore, 
on Sunday, there was a Republican senator, I think, and um, and he was saying that it's not through violence that anything's going to change. And and that's what George Floyd's brother, I believe, said that it, they've got we've got to be peaceful about our protests. So then it's about how to do it and how to protest and what to do. Yes, what do you do? I mean, I think the first thing you do is you acknowledge that there's a problem, and there is a problem, clearly there's a problem. In, in answer to your question about um, Charles, uh, Rashan Charles, Rashman, the findings were his death in 27 was um, after he was chased by police. He was seen swallowing a package containing caffeine and paracetamol, and the police claimed that they were trying to basically perform the Heimlich manoeuvre because he was choking to death on the package that he tried to swallow. But you know here we go again it's another another you know black man dying in contact with the police well, what um, about jean yes. charles de Benezes? you know would he have been followed and shot like he was you know something that i was saying about all of this is that it is so personal to your experience because all of these deaths are they come down to you know police brutality but they are also individual and they have to be looked at you know culpability has to be looked at individually this is about how it affects you as part of the whole. And it did make me think that, you know, my father as a visibly other, uh, visibly other person came to this country in the 1960s to the UK and was refused work. You know, he was very qualified and that's still happening today. There are some very, very important changes that need making. But because I look like my mother, that doesn't happen to me. So it does make you think and it makes my world experience slightly different because all that filters down through my experience and um, I suppose I'm lucky in one way and in another way I feel the sort of responsibility or whatever it is, these, these police problems need sorting out. I mean, John Charles de Menezes, you talked about there. Now, that's a, a very special case and a very difficult case because you will you will recall that um, in 2007, after the uh, London bombings, there was a heightened sense of awareness, there was a heightened sense of fear, and there was a genuine concern amongst the, um, the police and um, the, the domestic security services that there could be another cell operating and there could be another mass bombing and that could lead to mass deaths of course and there was a you'll probably know as well there was um, a cadre of police officers who were uh, trained in what was called Kratos operations and that was simply a way if you're an armed officer of killing somebody and ensuring if they did have any kind of device their death was so instantaneous that they couldn't actuate the device and the way you do that is basically you shoot them in the back of the skull you had officers on high alert you had a young man who in the officers minds at least was acting suspiciously they had been kratos trained but i don't think uh, jean charles de Menezes' ethnicity was an issue in this what was an issue in the, his death was the fact that there had been a you know serious terrorist attacks in central london well, we'll have to agree to differ on that one because I think that um, it had to do with his colour. Even though he was, I think, Brazilian, Portuguese, he was Latin American, he was a Latino. He was Brazilian, yes. So... But, he, but not. I wouldn't have called him black. No, but the people who were being labelled as terrorists at the time were brown. For sure, yes. I mean, they were Arabic primarily. Yes, and I think he was mistaken for being somebody of that ethnicity, in my own opinion. Either way, moving on. 
he was misidentified as one of the um, of the fugitives who had um, who was thought to have got away um, from a, a, a second um, a second planned um, terror attack in London. Anyway, what's so yeah. difficult? When I just said moving on, it just sounded so like how can you move on from this? You know, I'm I'm getting a bit emotive, really. But um, it was something we do need to talk about as part of a crime podcast has been the developments with Madeleine McCann, of course. Oh, yes. You've probably heard the celebrity friend of the show in the widestream media because he's been commenting a lot and um, we've been interacting with him saying arranging a time uh, to discuss this so you will hear more. And what I wanted to do was talk about the bare bones of the development. So the new findings and it's been i'm actually thinking of the german expression it it hangs from the german suspect who's been identified now and as you probably know because i've been tweeting about it from our twitter account at ydlmf podcast so if you're following us on twitter then you'll know about these new developments and if you aren't then you should be the suspect who's now been named he's in a prison in germany the german police are appealing for more information and they've released this man's identity and some vehicles that are now being forensically examined or have been forensically examined. I mean this is just fascinating you know Madeleine McCann disappeared uh, in May 2007 I mean I think one thing that this will absolutely confirm really is what I suppose a lot of us have thought a long time which is that the Portuguese police made an absolute hash of this investigation literally from the get-go any detective will tell you that when you have a disappearance or a murder you start with the people who knew that person best now we had a little girl here she was three years old Madeleine McCann she is somebody who's very dependent on her parents so yes of course you look at the parents but they were so convinced I think of uh, the guilt of um, Jerry and Kate McCann quite wrongly that they allowed that to completely dominate all their entire approach to this investigation. I don't think they were helped by a few other little things that went wrong. For example, there were some mistranslations around DNA evidence that was found in a car that didn't help. But even so, I think, and the, the way, and also, I mean, the Portuguese police were, would, we now know because uh, one of the key officers died of stomach cancer a few years ago. And it was revealed after that that he had been steadily leaking information to the British press that was seeking to put pressure on the McCanns. It was the kind of evidence that, in his mind, apparently pointed to them as potential suspects. I mean, let's not forget they were made suspects for a while. If you look on the internet, especially in some of the darker corners, there is an enormous, enormous, um, almost cult of people who have believed for many, many years that it was Kate and Jerry McCann who were guilty. Um, and I'm, I'm re- I never believed it, that they were guilty. And I'm so pleased that this has happened, not just because they can have some closure and finally learn perhaps what happened to their daughter but also because now we know that there was this evil paedophile who was in that area at the time it will completely exonerate them that's it's terrible looking up the name madeline mccann has led me to some wicked twitter accounts and i you know i, I say that in as as mild form of condemnation for what these people do they're joking you know there's a joke account and it has a picture of her it says it's Madeleine McCann so I don't know they must have got that name very early on and it has been going for ages and saying you know my mummy and daddy um took me you know left me alone and let me you know they don't know where I'm playing somewhere else and it's hideous 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the theory was always that there had been some kind of accident in the room. Madeline had been had died in some way. And then between them, her parents had contrived to get the body away from the resort and hide it so that uh, that, that wouldn't be discovered. And that was what the, the Portuguese police tried to get them to convince to. And they tried to convince um, Madeline's father, Jerry, that if he and his wife agreed to this she would go to prison for two years only he would be allowed to return to the uk straight away and and they almost tried to get them to do a deal on that basis which the more you think about it the more revolting it sounds when they were at the same time as having all this thrown at them were obviously trying to mourn or at least you know ter- fretting complete about the disappearance of their daughter i'm sure they always believed she was alive i suppose what we have learned this week is that she almost certainly isn't alive well, obviously well, that won't be the news they wanted. Well, that obviously won't be the news that they wanted to hear, but in some ways it will at least give them some kind of level of certainty and understanding of what took place. The they haven't found a body, you're right. The Portuguese police are certainly culpable in a sense that this man was known to have been in the area. They knew that at the time. Why wasn't this followed earlier? That it wasn't followed because they were so convinced that um, the McCanns were somehow involved that blinded them to all other possibilities. But they dropped and this their is... status as suspects at the time, didn't they? No, they only made them. Well, it, they called it arguido status, didn't they? This is this thing where, in Portuguese law, you are no, you are formally notified that you are, you have this thing, this arguido status. That means you are a suspect, and you're given that notification. I don't believe they were notified. I mean, Madeline disappeared in May. I don't believe they were made our guidos until sometime later, possibly as late as August or September. I can't recall exactly. And I know there'd been a huge operation. There'd been enormous efforts to find her. There were searches. There was talk that she may have been picked up by to order and taken to a wealthy family in North Africa who wanted a, a, a white child. There was talk of her being um, abducted and taken away to South America. And, and I mean, there was there were so many theories. And of course, because nobody was ever found, there was nothing to eliminate these theories. So they effectively, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. And this vacuum of knowledge with the lack of a body was filled by wild speculation, um, theorizing and, and all sorts of things. And because there was so little real information about what happened, it was very difficult to disprove any of these theories. Well, where we're standing now then is that um, this chap, Christian Bruckner, is said to be at least linked. And I think it's a gamble that the German police are taking to release all this information about him in the hope of identifying who it was that he spoke to in the evening that he was in Praia de Luge on that evening driving around and and hanging about that if they can identify other people because they're not believing that he'll talk obviously because he hasn't talked for so long and he's um he i think he bragged in prison he's he mentioned something to someone in prison that's how um, this has all come about but he's a well-known paedophile i mean he seems to fit the bill of somebody who would be involved in an offense like this so that's a gamble but what if we end up at square one again well i mean Christian Bruckner is somebody who's made a yes, as you said, he's made a, a cell confession to um, being involved in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. Increasingly now, um, his photograph has been widely circulated, and some of those witnesses who did recall seeing a sort of slim-billed white man in the area of the um, apartments at Pride Luche at the time are now saying they think 
it's him. Um, so you got it. You'll get it. You're starting to build up identification evidence. Um, we know that he was in that area at the time, so we, we know that. And I think really. In practical terms, it is now a question for the police of building up evidence. Um, witnesses have been coming forward. We don't know what all those witnesses are saying, of course. But I think it will be a situation where evidence builds against uh, this man, Christian Bruckner. Um, and at some point, it will be deemed strong enough that he can be um, uh, convicted of, of Madeline's disappearance and murder. Apparently, it was one of the Tapas Seven who saw a man fitting Christian Bruckner's description carrying a small child at roughly the time that madeline disappeared the tapas seven yes that was that there was um, one of those um, one of that group did see a, a man carrying a small child um, one of the nannies i think who was involved who was employed by the resort and had been looking after various children during the day because obviously they had creches and things at the at this resort she had also said that she thought she saw a man and has just said that she she believes that was Christian Bruckner. She so, thinks she saw said, a man. She didn't. She wasn't. She didn't see a man carrying a child. Just a man. Uh, she 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 saw a man hanging around, and she has now said she believes it was Christian Bruckner. What what I'm saying here is that this 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 evidential web is building up and is is starting to the jigsaw pieces are are being put into position and and that is why i mean you said that the german police had taken a gamble going public and i suspect they've taken a calculated risk here that if they go public with this information then it will jog people's memories and i mean if you look at some of the sort of kind of i don't know photo fit images that were generated at the time you can certainly see um there appears to be more than just a passing resemblance between the images that were released by the police at the time and the photo that we have been uh, we have all seen now that's been released of Christian Bruckner. Yes. So, yes, we are going to be giving you more on this, so should we leave it there for now? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Madeleine McCann is a huge huge subject. It's what is it the highest profile missing persons case ever i'd say uh, with so we've with chosen pos- in one episode to tackle that and to address the other biggest movement that's going on probably in the decade <laughs> yeah. if not uh, we, the century we don't shy away from the biggies here we should be joined by somebody who can certainly tell you more who's been dealing with the investigation for many years and um, has been all over the media talking about it recently so someone a lot more sensible and well informed than us yay you can have a bromance an on-air bromance <laughs> or a we could try show and off standoff each other. <laughs> is he as big a show off as me well I'd like to see that we can have a bro show off bro show <laughs> yeah you can have a bro show together Unless he's he's a no-show. So as we've been threatening you with the celebrity friend, world-renowned criminologist, Mark Williams-Thomas, welcome, Mark. Thanks very much for joining us. Really happy to have you on board and uh, joining us on this podcast. And I think Victoria and I are both really excited to talk to you about um, what's happening with Madeleine McCann. Yes, good afternoon, the two of you. It's uh, been a pleasure. I've been listening to your podcast since it started. And... I have to say, it's entertaining. It's entertaining on all, on very le- you know, many levels. Um, and obviously, as a result of that, here I am now talking to the two of you. Thank you for joining us. And um, I did just say, I hope you're not too thrown by our stardom. <laughs> I have had to have a cold shower this afternoon just to prepare myself. 
<laughs> on that note <laughs> so let me tell you about madeline so obviously it, it has become massive news and you know the the size of the story and how it has gripped worldwide attention i don't know did you ben did you ever go out there I never went out to Praia de Luce. I did a lot of stuff at Rothley at uh, the McCann's home and also various um, things up at Leicestershire Police because they were obviously involved liaising with the, the, the police in Portugal. But I, no, I didn't actually get out there at all. Yeah, so I went out there within about 72 hours. I was on the ground out there. Initially, I covered it for Sky uh, and then moved on and, and obviously covered it for ITV. But it's a story that I have to say, I've covered a lot of stories, probably the, the, other, the second biggest to it was Oscar Pistorius but even that with World Eyes Attention not the not as big as Madeline so where are we now 13 years on very little has happened in terms of progress and in fact it's one of the few stories that as soon as any new information comes along it will dominate the headlines and what we had was this incredible announcement really from the British and the Germans where they were saying they have a main suspect now they weren't naming them and they haven't named them but this main suspect who they believe is responsible and the germans went as far as to say for the murder of madeleine and there is a discrepancy between the stance taken by the germans and the british the british are still saying this is very much a missing persons inquiry we need to identify this individual and either rule them in or rule them out the germans have gone far, far further than that, saying this is clearly a murder investigation. We believe that this individual is responsible for killing Madeleine. And furthermore, we now believe that she was buried and that we have evidence to support that. A massive, massive step forward in terms of the position that they're taking. I always got the sense, Mark, the British police, um, right back at the original inquiry when we were sending over um, the cadaver dogs, the sniffer dogs, and uh, providing all the help we could, the British police were very cautious about saying anything at all because they didn't seem to want to offend the Portuguese authorities. And they felt that if they said more than they should, um, there'd be a, a lot of noses put out of joint over in Portugal. Yeah, it's been a really difficult balance along the way because, of course, you had the Portuguese police who started their investigation and very quickly focused on uh, Murat and then moved from Murat, obviously, to Jerry and Kate. They've never really had any other suspects in their sights at all. And then when it really came to a, an end where they had made no progress at all, the, the British became involved. And the British have always tried to keep the diplomatic channels open and I think they have been a challenge because certainly all the time that I was out in Portugal within the first 10 days there was consistent briefings that were occurring from the Portuguese police into the Portuguese media which were often completely and utterly inaccurate but were being reported as fact and that was, it was confusing a whole situation and then when the British took over, they wanted to try and deal with it in a way that the Portuguese hadn't, which is become much more secret, much more quieter, get on behind the scenes with regards to it. And that's what they've been doing for, you know, the the good uh, probably what are we probably 10 years since they've taken that case on. And now we've got in a tripartite system where we've got the Portuguese who started the investigation and to whom 
the investigation belongs really madeline vanished in portugal and the offenses happened in portugal we've got the british who have kind of come on board in the old-fashioned way of bringing new scotland yard they'll solve it and then we've got the germans now who are very much wanting to take the lead in relation to this so it's quite a strange dynamics that's going on mark I just want to ask you how much truth, how much weight it holds in what they're saying, that she's actually dead. So why do they think she's dead? They believe that a conversation was had, and we know a conversation was had, just not the nature of what was discussed, in 2007 between a suspect and a male friend of his, who's also a villain, in a bar in Germany. They were watching the news broadcasts of the appeal for Madeline and at that point this individual the suspect said to his friend I know where she is I know what happened to her and discusses in some detail what took place at the same time he also talks about a separate offence a rape of an elderly lady shows his friend on his mobile phone that rape that individual then goes to the police, reports it to the police, which results in the subject being arrested. And it is on that basis that they say the evidence that he gave to his friend is the truth, because he gave evidence in relation to this rape, which proved to be right. And therefore, if he said that correctly, he must have been telling the truth about Madeline. They don't have any evidence to say where she is. They only have his so-called confession to his friend in the bar and that is upon which they are making this decision that Madeline is dead. But as we've been talking about you've been involved with this case right since the beginning what's what's your opinion? I think Madeline McCann's dead I don't think there's any doubt about that it's very sad and of course Jerry and Kate will always remain optimistic that she isn't but I think they are realistic to the reality and of course when you've got a a police force coming out and saying that albeit the British aren't the Germans are uh, they will take that very very seriously the question now is is what evidence do they have that can support that in order to bring one of two steps forward firstly charges against this individual and secondly which is most important find her body now they've talked in terms of her being buried and I know it's something that's a a very interesting subject matter that you discuss on your podcasts almost every single week in terms of how to dispose of a body I think it would be highly unlikely that Madeline was buried in Portugal and the very simple reason for that is that around that time the ground was incredibly hard you wouldn't be able to dig that ground in the capacity that you would need to 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 bury a body and you would probably need to normally an adult male you need to dig about six foot down uh, but she's a young child so even if you went to a depth of five four five feet you'd still have to make it four five feet long uh you aren't going to do that quickly and you're certainly not going to do that in the the ground that's there which is very very hard so where else could she be well uh, probably in the water uh, because obviously there's an awful lot of water around there but also possibly very sadly it could have been disposed of in in other fashions uh, and there are other the other ways of getting rid of her so i think 
the chances of finding Madeline and the Portuguese seem to be work sorry the Germans seem to be working on the basis that she's buried is probably going to be very slim they will be undertaking some searches I know that uh, my contacts advise me that they have got a number of addresses that they're going and locations they're going to search in the due course uh, and obviously their hope is to find her if they find Madeline they will get the killer. I have no doubt about that. Certainly in the advances of technology, of forensics now, the chances are that that would give up the killer. But finding her will be a massive task. He's not going to cooperate with them. He's not going to share his information. We know he's a bit of a fantasist. One of the other interesting elements about him is that... Victoria here, just jumping in, because I felt there was so much good material that I didn't want to edit the hell out of it. Mark goes on to describe how the German authorities are approaching the case in a bit more detail and what he believes happened to Madeleine McCann on the night that she disappeared. So do tune in for the next instalment and we return after Williams Thomas recounts some of the most grisly crimes that I've heard on a true crime podcast and that's really saying something because I've heard stuff which literally has made my toes curl so you can hear my reaction following this tune in for more Mark Williams Thomas next week it's really chilling isn't it so I've just brought the tone of your whole podcast down haven't I so I listen well not well I was about to say But I've brought your whole tone down and now you are, you need a whiskey or something, do you? The other thing, well, we always need a whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) But the one thing that we did say was um, enough of us being bumbling idiots. Here's Mark Williams Thomas. Yes. So that's your intro. But but the other thing is, Mark, I mean, you know, we we do sort of have quite a dark sense of humour. But, you know, we are talking about serious matters. And yes, it's nice to sort of sometimes, you know, try and, you know, veil that in a little bit of humour. But when it, when it comes to this particular case, I think it's one that so many people have a sort of a, as you said, in fact, you know, your Twitter um, traffic goes up. People, you know, on Facebook are always, you know, every time you talk about it, you suddenly get increased in traffic, increase in interest. It's just for some reason, it's just a story that's just grabbed so many people. And, and it, it sort of gra- kind of grabs you in quite a visceral way deep down. And you just, you know, the idea of just a little three-year-old girl just stepping out of an apartment, as you said, being snatched and that's it gone in in the blink of an eye is something that just fills so many of us with absolute horror um it, it, that's the, the that's the core of the story in my view and it's a story i think we always associate with or, or nearly all of us but it's one of the few cases where everyone has a view i mean when i first when it first happened i couldn't go anywhere where would somebody wouldn't say to me oh what happened we look at people's behavior don't we i mean i'm the first i love sitting in a coffee shop window and making a judgment on everyone that's walked past uh, you know <laughs> i do that i do that for fun you know i, I but it, that isn't the basis of my decision making process for my investigations i mean look at john charles de menzies the individual that was shot by the metropolitan we were Police. just speaking about him okay so obviously he is under surveillance by mi5 he then ends up walking down a road. Now, they are convinced that he is anti-surveillance savvy. 
he stops, looks in a window, does his shoelace up and is fully aware that he's under surveillance. The reality of it is, is that he wasn't anti-surveillance in any way at all. He stopped and looked in a window. <laughs> that was it. That if you walk around the high street, and I'm not suggesting you do this because when you get arrested, you'll say, Mark told me to do this. Yeah, I'm glad you <laughs> said that to our listeners. But if, we've got a perfect defence now. <laughs> <laughs> but if you walk around the high street and you watch people, part of the surveillance course that I did basically pick a person go into a high street and pick a person and follow them and see where they go and and make sure that you follow them in your in your team without being sighted during the course of that follow they be they will do strange things and if you're not aware of the fact that you know they are they have no knowledge in terms of counter surveillance you could very well think that this person doing a behavior for a certain reason we do strange things all the time. <laughs> ben, are you doing well, something strange that, right no, now? Real strange, real strange around here. <laughs> Do you I know what's, what's yes. really strange, Mark, is that Ben's been quiet for longer than ever no, on this well, podcast think... before. Well done. Yeah. I've been fascinated. It's been fant- really good to talk to you, Mark. I've been found it absolutely fascinating, really enjoyable. And yes, thanks and very much indeed for joining before us. Before we really set you free, I've got to ask you um, a couple <laughs> of things. First of all, yeah. now you're a friend of the podcast. Yes. Um, can we get our listeners to um, write in with questions for you? Yeah, sounds a good idea. Yeah, anything. I mean, I've covered probably all of the major cases over the last probably 20 years. I mean, the only cases that I haven't personally covered is I didn't cover Fred and Rose West. And well, we've uh, covered that. Don't worry. We've done that. So I didn't <laughs> do that. Um, but by and large, all the other ones, yeah, and Holly and Jessica, I didn't cover that on the ground because when that was happening, I think I was involved in... Savile's investigation you know and I talked to I talked to a number of people in jail Jeremy Bamber I write to regularly in jail Uh, and you just mentioned Oscar Pistorius Oscar I talked to Oscar uh, that's that's another podcast that's fascinating yeah but there are you know crime is fascinating crime dominates people and of course my book you know I don't know if you your book and your podcast and my podcast so i've got a podcast at the moment which is we're just doing a new podcast which is about miscarriage of justice which is an incredible case so i've given you i've come on your podcast and i've just <laughs> talked and talked and talked so. well you said you said oh it's all very well to like come in when when the investigations come to a close and then say but this is exactly where we come in and scoop you up <laughs> <laughs> but also your background helps a lot doesn't it yeah, I mean, I think if I didn't have the policing background that I do and and the credibility, you know, and, and it, I suppose it's weird for me to say, oh, I've got my own credibility. But actually, you know, my background in policing, the stories that I've done, people will talk to me. They trust me, you know, and I look after people for me. Uh, and this is often a way, I think, for the media is that it's very easy to pick and dump. So you pick somebody up, you do a little story and you dump them. But we have to remember the impact that it has on people when we do that. So I'm very, it's your ice cream. Ice cream. Van. Ice cream. I'll have a it, I'll have a ninety-nine with Yeah. Is that it's actually our, out here. here comes our exclusive. Which one is it, Mark? <laughs> it's a ninety-nine. Is, is that actually a, a um ice cream van coming around your house? Yeah, it's my my house. Oh it's, it's your van. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it a movie for you, Ando? <laughs> So Ben, what's your what's your ice cream of choice? Oh, I think it's going to have to be a. I'd have a feast. I love a feast. A big feast. <laughs> they're, they're incredibly small these days. Is that an ice cream called a feast? 
Yeah, it is. Oh, is okay. it a big feast? The chocolate ones with the chocolate yeah. in the middle? That's right, yeah. Oh, that's just, uh, that's just a road to disappointment. I want to ask you, Mark, to um, just name your book and name your podcast. Yes. So my book, my book is called Hunting Killers. Uh, and actually, if you want it signed by me personally, if you go to my own website, which is Williams-Thomas, uh, I will, uh, and you buy the book through that site, I will personally sign it for you, send it to you with your own little message in there. And if you want, I'll give you a kiss on it. And then you can listen to it also on audiobooks. And then my podcast, the Series 1 podcast is out. That's called The Detective. And that looks into the work of the MI5 and Special Branch in terms of a terrorist case. And Series 2 will be out very soon, which is a solved murder, which I think is a miscarriage of justice. And kisses, exclusive kisses from you available to our listeners. Thank you. I know, I know. What else could you have? Ben's got his copy at the ready. Uh, Mark, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for making the time. I know you're really busy at the moment. Yeah, thanks, Mark. We really appreciate it. Take care. I'll call you tomorrow. So that's another one gone for the week. Episode 11, all done and dusted. Thank you very much, Victoria. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I've forgotten to address. We did get another poem. Tell me more. Okay, I might have to read it out as our outro. Go for it. Here we go. It's one of the show's many resident poets. So I quite like this because it it keeps a healthy amount of competition going. Hi, Victoria and Ben, says the poet. All up to date with your podcast. My F-ometer broke in the last. Don't worry, nothing offends. Each episode, the intro extends. Hmm. Loving the banter and the vibe. Glad to be part of the YDLMF tribe. Oh, wow, it's getting tribal. Our acronym is almost getting catchier. (laughs) It's never going to be catchy. Chosen specifically to never be catchy. The least catchy acronym ever. Um... Why is it, what's our what's happening about our extend something is extend what, what's what's extend I didn't get that oh our intro extends does that mean we're just waffling on yeah talking we're waffling longer, longer on about and crap. your ephometer yeah. did you get that bit oh yeah oh actually oh, yeah. yes we've had another email about your language I started swearing because I think it's big and clever well I mean that's obviously coming across <laughs> what did the other email say about my language <laughs> the same thing. Well, actually, the person who wrote in about it used so many expletives, I can't tell you. <laughs> so I think it might be tongue-in-cheek. But um, I, so. I think there was, a, there was a bit of a reaction to your swearing on Twitter. But I think it's from a lot of people who know your bad reputation precedes you. <laughs> I never swore on air when I was a real, real journalist. Well, it's all coming back. It's like my mum. She all of a sudden got hold of the F-bomb and dropped it all the time when she could. <laughs> menopausal revolution (laughs) (laughs) well I'm still on the sugars because I've got a little one on that happy note okay and um, keep those emails flooding in please we like to hear from you and again to our email because then I can name credit you if you want your name read out or your anonymous pseudonym uh, to you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com until next time fuck off see you later (laughs) 